Good morning, silly lights. It's great to be with you again. I am preaching while some of you may be at the camp or packing for the camp, and you're going to be coming to the camp this afternoon. Uh, we are really looking forward to it. I think there's about 180 people coming. It's going to be a great time of connecting uh, and social distancing connecting, but connecting nonetheless. I'm so looking forward to seeing everyone hanging out with you, having fun together, playing some volleyball on the beach. Uh, I think there's going to be some quiz night. It's going to be super exciting. But um, I've got a, a little, I'd say a mini series that I want to do over the next couple of weeks, maybe interjected with other people preaching. But it's, it's coming out of Romans 12, 13, 14, possibly 15, maybe even 16. And, uh, and I've entitled this mini series called Future Church. And the first part we're going to be looking at is our inner world. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans 12, and I'm going to read a couple of scriptures before then, but I just started to think about what is church going to look like after this pandemic? Um, we're hearing again um, of, of, of things bubbling up again. Maybe some second waves are coming, not, so, not in this country, but in other countries of this world. We, there's so many uncertainties. And there's so many uh, things that we, we don't know what the future is going to hold, but we know that Jesus does. We know that Jesus is in control. We know that uh, he is 100% God. He, he knows the future. And, and I think in this time, all we have to do is listen to his voice, listen to his spirit. But then I think also go back to scripture. And if you look at, if you look at scripture, there's, there's so many times where there's been pandemics and, and wars and all these things that have happened. But God has remained constant and the same. So I want to just start. We're going to go to Romans 12, but I want to start in, in John 9. And I'm going to quickly read it. This is Jesus here. He goes, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And the amazing thing for me is that I think that scripture is so key in this time was that as followers of Jesus, we can look and say, why did this pandemic happen? Was it the sinfulness of man? Was it this? And you begin to kind of question all of these things. And Jesus was also asked this in some ways. They said, was it this parents who sinned uh, that he was born blind? And Jesus doesn't even venture into answering that question. He just looks forward. And I want to say as a church, we need to just keep looking forward. We need to keep looking to what God is going to do in and through this coronavirus. But he says this, Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. And I'm trusting in this time is that a lot of you are still at home. Some of you are back at work, still not much travel happening, that we are seeing the works of God being displayed in our time and revival always comes in packages we, we never expect. It's not going to necessarily come when everything's pumping and there's life and we're allowed to meet and all this stuff. Often it happens in, in ways which we don't know what's happening. And we need to just be hearing and being attentive to God's voice. Anyway, so there's my little introduction. So what I felt this week is to, I was just going through different scriptures, which I might get onto in the next couple of weeks, but is to go look at Romans 12 
And it's an incredible scripture. And if you look at Romans, it was written around the time of when Nero was the emperor of Rome. He was the sixth emperor of Rome. He was one of the main persecutors of Christians. He blamed the Christians for the fire of Rome. He would, and as punishment, he put them on stalks and he wrapped them up and he would light them as torches. Uh, it would light up the paths, the paths in, in Rome. He would, uh, he would feed the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. He was an evil man. He had his, uh, there was, he was possessed by Satan himself and he would, and he would, uh, he would persecute Christians. But then Paul writes in the midst of this crazy persecution from all sides, this new kind of religion, this new way of thinking, Christianity was being persecuted by everyone. Paul begins to write and says, now this is how we live. So let's pick up in Romans 12, which is the church being salt and light. And we have been thinking a lot about us being salt and light. And if you think what salt is, salt preserves, salt sometimes stings. I went to the Dead Sea once and I went in, uh, into the Dead Sea and the, the, the saltiness stung. And sometimes we need to be this salt and light and bring truth in a world that has just absolutely gone crazy in this season. So let's pick up in Romans 12. That's uh, sanity is the word of God. It says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And whenever we see therefore in the Bible, and I've taught this before, and I think when we went through our series at the beginning of the year, it's time, and I've taught through this. But again, I feel like we just, this, if there's ever a scripture that's so relevant for our times, it's this one. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. We have to go back to scripture. We have to go back to Jesus. We have to go back to how he responded. And we have to be able to be the ones that, that share that message to the people around us. But if you look at therefore, we have to look at what's gone before. So obviously, Romans is one of the, the, the key books in the Bible. Uh, N.T. Wright, from the, a great scholar, said it's like the apex of Paul's writing. And uh, there's so much. And one day I'll be smart enough to teach through Romans. But for, for now, I'm just going to pick out a few little snippets. Romans 1.16, some key verses we would have heard before. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news because it is the power of God, the dunamis, the dynamite of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's salvation on offer right now by our Father in heaven. Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ saw the sin in our hearts and he died for us despite all the stuff we've done and lived in. Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life starts the moment you give your life to Jesus. There's eternal life from that point. Romans 8.28, beautiful scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his 
purpose. And in that, the church only has one way and it's forward. It's, we, have, we have a momentum forward. The church is going to always reinvent itself. The church is always going to be, I, I believe, it has to be always on the, on the forefront of what's happening in society because we need to reach people for Jesus. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we have to, in this time, when there's so much stuff happening around us, where, we, where churches around the world can't meet, is that the gates of hell will not prevail. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Final scripture, and there's so many I could read out of Romans, but Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that's when Paul writes, he starts most of his letters with, with, with giving an, an expanding of the gospel and expanding of what Jesus has done for us. Then he'll write, therefore, this is how we live. And we, can, we can't forget the therefore. It's just as imp- important as the first half. And we need to be a gospel people whose inner life is, is transformed and is changed. And what we're seeing around the world is that people are trying to transform the outer world without transforming the inner world. Jesus always starts from the inner place, the gospel, the power of the gospel that turns a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, someone who hates God to loving God, someone who hates people to loving people. That's how God, by the power of his gospel, he begins to change our hearts. Our inner world begins to change. So our outer world can change. Paul was a strict Jew. He, if anyone knew that, that, that salvation is not found in good works, by being good, by trying to be good, that salvation is found in Jesus alone. The gospel tr- transforms you and I totally. You are totally forgiven, you are totally saved, and you are totally adopted into God's family. We can't, we, if, if we ever lose our passion for Jesus, we have to go back to what Paul's writing. We have to go back to the Gospels. We have to go back to what the message of the kingdom of God, that there's this transformation that happens as you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as you bow down to him, as it says, as you, as you pour your life out before him, he begins to transform you and change you from the inside out. I love what the message version says of this. Says, so here's what you've got to do, God helping you. Take your every day, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Everything. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That is super challenging. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. And as we begin to look at the rest of Romans 12 and 13, there's a a maturity that is expected of, of, of us as followers of Jesus, that we look more like Jesus today than we were a year ago or two months ago or two weeks ago because we are growing from glory to glory becoming more and more like him it's why in this church we believe firstly that you belong that you believe and then then you behave 
don't like to necessarily behave, but you know, you know what I mean by that, is that you belong first, is that you love despite what you've done, despite what you've walked through, but then you begin to believe and you realize, oh, my life doesn't line up with the gospel. God, Jesus, give me grace to, ch- to change these parts of me that, that need to be changed. And then we begin to behave, we begin to look like Jesus, and we begin to serve and love people and walk out into our calling, which I'm going to talk about at some point. And then it gets on to verse 3, 12 verse 3, and I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. God has given me the grace to speak a warning about pride. Throughout the Bible it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. And how much does social media do that? How much does selfies do that? It creates a world that's actually not real and then people get maybe jealous of that world that's not actually real in that person's world. It says, instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. Then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. And the reason why I mentioned social media is that it actually causes comparison. And I honestly believe that comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, God, even in his 10 commandments to the people of Israel says, do not covet uh, your neighbor's wife, their donkey, which doesn't apply to us now, their possessions, their life. And the word covet is, is, the, is the meaning, the yearn to possess. And that for me is, is a place that all other kind of evils and all other sin can, can cascade off because you're longing for something that someone else has. And honestly, comparison in, in any form is a thief of joy. It's, 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 if you're looking at someone else's calling and you're looking at someone else's finances and you're looking at someone else's home and you're looking at all these things, if you start to compare yourself to that, it actually robs you of what God is actually doing in your life. And it's exhausting trying to live someone else's calling. God has a unique calling on every single one of your lives. And um, I love that the illustration of we need to run in our own lane. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, run in a way to win the prize, but not in a way to compete with others. others. And we, we fix our eyes on Him and we walk in the calling and the destiny that God has on us. And uh, I love what it says in the, in the Passion Translation. It says we get to see our true value. And uh, at some point I'm going to talk on identity and the importance of identity. And it's, it's definitely been a, a thing that God has been working in my life, reshaping in my life highlighting some stuff in my life that I react in certain ways because I haven't worked on uh, the, the inner life, the inner world. But I want to read a few scriptures of how God sees you. Psalm 139 verse 13, this is what God says about you. For, for you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. John 1 verse 12, it says, Yet yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You have great value. You are loved, you have a gifting, you have calling. And I think that the moment we start to compare uh, with others and if it's on social media, Instagram, is that we actually lose the thing that God has made us to be. And I'm gonna, we're gonna dive deep into identity in the next couple of weeks, but I wanna say that you are loved. 
God has an incredible calling on your life. And I'm not just saying that to hype you up. It's, it's absolute truth because it's in the Bible. And then it gets on to Romans 12 verse 4. And we're going to come into land very soon. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We all have a different lane to run in. If you look at Bruce behind the camera. His lane at this stage is many things. He's, he's gifted in many areas, but he's running in his lane filming church so we can get across to hundreds of people across the city. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, which we'll look in next week what that means. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in teaching, to the one who exhorts in exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, and to the one who acts with, uh, of mercy with cheerfulness. Next week, we're going to look in greater depth of relationship with one another, the different giftings and different callings on people's lives. But I want to just pick up one little verse here out of Romans 12, 11. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And the word there, uh, spiritual fervor, is, is passionate, it's hot, it's glowing, it's, it's bubbling over, it's bubbling over with zeal. And that is our responsibility. It's no one else's. And I've had times, in, even in COVID, where I was like, you're lacking a bit of passion and I, it's no one else's responsibility. I can't say oh, I had a rough night with the kids, I only said four hours, whatever it was. It's my responsibility to get before God, to put myself on the throne, so to speak, before his feet and just begin to worship him, honor him, and God begins to do something in our lives. And I've got a great illustration that I want to show you right now. So here I've got an induction plate, which we use sometimes when our stove was broken. And the way it works is that it actually heats up the, it's, the molecules in like a pot like this. And if I had to put this big plastic cup on here, nothing happens. It will stay there forever. And I feel like that almost represents something of an unsurrendered life. If we go back to Romans 12, 1, it says, uh, uh, let me get a shot. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We need to offer our bodies. We need to lay it before God. And then I put this pot on. And if we're talking about spiritual fervor and boiling over, this is what happens when we place our lives before Jesus as a living sacrifice. And there's, there's something that begins to happen and we lay our hearts down before him. And as you can see here, there's a few little bubbles starting to go. It's gonna start boiling soon. And this is when we surrender to Him, when we repent before Him, when we have these daily disciplines, where we, we say, God, I've been felt so distant from you, but I come before your throne this morning. God, I felt it's been so hard and tough over Corona, but God, I lay my heart before you. I read the Psalms. I put on a worship song. I begin to praise and worship, even if I don't feel like it. And what begins to start happening is that the passion, the, the, this bubbling starts to happen. There's, there's this, uh, this is igniting of the fire of God again in our lives and I'm praying that for every single one of you is that we get to be these people that bubble over that are passionate that are full of the life of God I'd say one of the ways that we keep the fire burning in our lives that we keep the spiritual fervor that we do not lack in zeal is taking communion 
And, um, and I'd like you just to get your elements ready. We've got uh, whatever we had on hand in, in the office here. Yeah, it's a little, little biscuit and some, some juice. And uh, it's, it's, it's a way of us remembering what Jesus has done for us. And I love what it says in Romans 12, 5, which we read out a little bit earlier. It says, so, though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we, although we're separate in people's homes and some of you are having watch parties and if you want to get your, your elements ready and you can, you can take communion together now. But we are, though separate, we are one body. We belong to one another. And Jesus says here in Matthew 26, um, this is the Last Supper. It says, while they were eating, Matthew 26, 26, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of, of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And Jesus took a moment where he's, he's bringing a new remembrance. And this is something we do as followers of Jesus, that we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us, that he died on the cross, that he was whipped, that uh, there's blood that poured out and it was for our forgiveness of us. And so let's take a moment. This, the Bible says in, in, one, in 1 Corinthians that we need to kind of inspect our hearts. Let's just take a moment to say, God, what do I need to bring before you this morning? What are the things in my life today that is stopping this passion for you? I lay it down. If I have to make some big, bold, strong decisions in the next couple of days, Father, let it be. Let's take of a bread. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. And we are remembering you. And as we do this, Father, we know that we are separate, but we are one body together. I pray, Lord God, for your presence to be in everyone's home right now. Thank you, God, that as we take this, it brings wholeness into our lives. Father, we thank you for this juice that represents your blood. It represents the blood of the new covenant, as you said. And Father, we thank you that this washes away our sin and our guilt. It's, it's a remembrance of what you've done on the cross. Thank you, Father. And Father, I just pray over every single family right now. Every single, every uh, couple, everyone who's at home right now. Uh, whether, whatever they're doing, if they're on their phones, or on their computers, or whatever it is, Lord Jesus, I just pray for your presence to pervade their rooms, their homes, their lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you set us free, Father. And I pray, Lord God, for that intense fervor and passion to be released on us as a people. 1 Timothy 4, and I'm going to end with this. It says, do not neglect your gift which was given through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Father, we pray in this time of Corona and us not meeting physically together that we will not neglect the things that you've paid a price for. 
the calling, the destiny, the forgiveness. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you, you would supernaturally just ignite our hearts again. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you.